Sex and happiness both enrich our lives, yet it's surprising how few people can honestly say that they enjoy regular and fulfilling sex or describe themselves and their lives as happy. Host Lori Handlers helps you to experience real intimacy and happiness. You'll laugh a little, learn a little, and we hope put a smile on your face and a smile in your life. Now here's Lori. Hi, everybody. This is Lori Handlers, and you're listening to an episode of Sex and Happiness, a show about your sex and your happiness. Today, I'm very excited. I have a different topic. I actually announced it on my last show that I was going to be talking about this this time. So for some of you, you won't be surprised because you heard the last show. I said I was going to be talking about plant medicine and how that may affect your sex and your happiness, like what could happen um, with plant medicine that could sh- transform you, shift you, change you. And um, it's a really big topic these days. It, I remember when it wasn't such a big topic, when very few people I knew were dabbling in plant medicine and people were afraid to talk about it. And um, yeah, the I mean, I come from the 60s generation, so I certainly did a lot of medicine in my life. But I, you know, still, if you weren't from the 60s, a lot of people didn't talk about it. But now people are making journeys and pilgrimages to South America, Central America, places all over the globe where they're experimenting with their DNA, I want to say, and they're experimenting with plant medicines. And what I'm talking about are things, anything from uh, peyote to... Um, ayahuasca to other wascas. I took another wasca recently um, to Cambo to there are probably things I don't even know about San Pedro. So today I have somebody who's been in this life since he was about 14. His first experience was with Lakota Indian Nation, Lakota Native American Nation in the United States. And uh, he was a kid, I say, and he's a grown-up now, (laughs) but he probably thinks he's still a kid. And uh, so I'm going to introduce you to him. His name is Kevin Leroy, and he has spent his life exploring and studying with many indigenous people across the globe. And one thing stands out for Kevin, and that is that these so-called primitive peoples are amongst the happiest, longest living humans on the planet. Kevin seeks to build a bridge where teaching and tools that have served humanity so well for many thousands of years can be accessed and integrated into society in a practical and acceptable way in support of the ultimate goal of happier, sexier people here on this planet. So, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. Hello. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah. Yeah, great. I can just see your smiling face. So let me just say a little bit how Kevin and I met. We met at a Tantra festival recently in Fiji. And, um, you know, we, we saw each other and Kevin was assisting there. So we had some connection, but nothing until the end of the, of the Tantra festival when traditional Fijians, Fijian indigenous people came to give us a kava ceremony. And kava is a plant medicine. And they they said you could clap three times, say bula, 
and say how much you wanted. And I said, I wanted a little. And Kevin was sitting next to me and he said he wanted a tsunami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they have choices. They said, do you want low tide or high tide? And I was like, tsunami. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm in. Yeah. So that was really earth shattering. It was like, it shook me a little bit. I didn't know who you were, Kevin. I didn't know at the time. Yeah. The experiences that you had had in your life. And so when you said tsunami, I got a little scared. And then, you know, it didn't have such an effect on you that you were altered or that you weren't able to be uh, lucent and cogent. And so I didn't worry about you anymore. And then we, tri then consequently we talked and you told me mm. how much plant medicine experience you had had. So let's go back a little bit and talk about how you got to experience uh, your first medicine at 14 or 15 when you, when you were with Lakota Indian tribe. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing was that I was adopted. So, um, um, I was separated from my birth mother um, very early on, like before I was even a year old. And, I, and all we really had in the state of Michigan was the very last state that still did what they call closed adoption. So all they really provided was non-identifying information. And it just said that she was a member of the Lakota tribe, basically. So that's all I really knew about my DNA and where I came from. So... When I was about 14, I decided, hey, you know, um, I want to find out about this. So so I kind of just went, okay, so I know it's Lakota. So I just went, and I was living in Texas at the time, and I just um, talked to a bunch of people, and they said, oh, well, this reservation's open, meaning that you can visit them. And I went and visited them, and they said, okay, well, normally when somebody turns 14 or 15, I was 14 at the time, they said normally when they have their 14th or 15th birthday, that's when we consider them to, um, you know, transition into manhood. So we would do this ceremony, which is where you sit in the sweat lodge and you have the peyote cactus and you go through a little bit of a initiation and transformation into manhood. And that, as soon as they said that to me, they said, you know, a lot of people would find that really scary, but I just felt like this is what I had been missing. You know, this is where I was feeling a little bit disconnected from myself in many ways and and I was just like yes and you know it was never a thing like oh my gosh we're gonna go get high it was like more like we're gonna go and and really peel back some of the layers and some of the story about about you know who we are as people and so mm -hmm. I went and I and I really didn't know what was going to happen and I sat in and it was very very hard it was I think on that day, I remember it was it was 93 degrees outside, and I was sitting in, in the middle of the New Mexico desert. It took about two and a half hours to wait for the bus to arrive, and then another four hours for the bus to take us out nowhere. I knew no one there. I knew nobody. I talked to one of the elders in the in the city that I was from, San Antonio, Texas, and he had visited there, and he said, "Come with me to New Mexico." So I no idea where I was or who I was with. I sat down and as soon as they started playing some of the music and the ceremony started, I just had this great sense that I was at home and I was safe. And um, since then, I have just said, you know, this is my path. And I kind of 
do a little prayer and I said this is like a path of surrender and and whatever needs to happen I, I offer myself really to the medicines and let them sort of guide and determine how it's all going to manifest on this planet you know? mm. Mm. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a great description and an amazing a leap of faith on your part uh, mm. to, I mean, it was a leap of faith on your part to leave home and trust mm. that you would be okay. And then to go somewhere to a reservation where you knew no one, you weren't part of the culture. They told you there was a rites of passage ritual and you knew somehow intuitively that you were, that's what you needed. That's what you were missing. And, Boom, you, you jumped on the bus. It's a pretty mm. amazing story. Let's backtrack for a second and um, tell people what a sweat lodge is. Because even though I have been in many sweat lodges and I know what sweat lodges are, not everyone I imagine listening knows what a sweat lodge is. Okay, so a sweat lodge is, um, in its very most basic description, is, is, is a big hut that they build, um, usually out of, straw and wood and sometimes they put mud on the outside to kind of seal it in and they put very very hot rocks in the middle and they put water on and it's essentially like a very intense version of a sauna um, and depending on the tradition that you're following you might stay in there from five to six hours up to a few days um, mm -hmm. now this is um, it's considered to be a purification uh, of the body. Um, of course, you're sweating out all your toxins and you're not getting much more food, but it's also about, um, for at least for the Lakota people, they consider it to be um, a purification of your heart and your spirit. And maybe on a psychological level, you could describe this as, as, a, as a sort of reset of any of these old patterns, and it's a time to let go of those old patterns of thinking mm -hmm. and belief systems that you just really don't think that you need anymore. And in terms of that one that I had at 14, it was also kind of like, it's sort of an initiation experience in that it's very, very uncomfortable and you're just sweating and it really does feel like, you know, after eight hours in there, it really does feel like you're going to die at some point. And, and but the thing is that you don't and you know that everyone's going to be safe and i felt very very safe in there but but there was times when i was just wanting to run out uh, you know or lift the bottom i remember i lifted the bottom several times to breathe fresh air and and i felt like i was cheating myself more than anything but i just needed that oxygen mm -hmm. and then and then and then i found that that was actually interrupting this process of surrender so what I found, what I find with sweat lodges, the best thing to do is just sit there and suddenly you sort of transcend the fact that you're in this really uncomfortable place and you find a real peace within. And it's kind of like that's sort of the process there is kind of just just trusting the process and trusting the tradition that's been so long. I don't think that I've ever really heard of anybody having any sort of medical issue inside a sweat lodge unless they have pre-existing heart condition, in which case you wouldn't go in right. anyway. But right. I mean... I well, mean, there was a big scandal. There was a big scandal in the United States a few years back where there was some spiritual guru. I can't remember the guy's name now, but uh, he brought people into the Arizona desert in sweat lodge and then somebody did die. 
And that's, but that was his neglect and his abuse. It wasn't, uh, it really, it gave Sweat Lodges a bad name, but it was a terrible thing for anybody who's in the spiritual lead business or that's their calling. Once again, it gave a very bad name to people um, when in fact it was on the leader to have, allow those people to drink water or whatever they needed. It wasn't, you know, whatever. So I want to say I did hear of one bad incident, but that's one bad incident in thousands of years of performing sweat lodges, people going in saunas, people going in steam rooms, people going for Turkish baths, all kinds of things. Rarely yeah. like that happen. Yeah. And I mean, that is the unfortunate thing. And I mean, as these things, because part of my, like sort of my goal in life is kind of like making these things accessible for people but doing it in a really safe way because I find that as people kind of do jump on this bandwagon a little bit um, and it becomes more popular you know there can be different motivations other than 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 the healing I mean people can get motivated by the money side of things or they think that you know this is just something really cool to do and I think the one person that I have heard of who was doing sweat lodges where there were deaths is he wasn't following any particular tradition. Right. right? He, right. He, he, he just kind of like said, oh, I've heard a lot of people are doing sweat lodges and that people are having good results. So uh, I'm going to build myself a sweat lodge and invite people over. And so there wasn't really a lot of screening done in terms of, you know, like whenever I would invite somebody for any sort of ceremony, there is about three pages of questions. And it's just about every sort of background information, like medical, psychological, what's their intentions with their going, what, what have they heard, what are they expecting to get out of it? And just kind of getting clarification around that is so important because yeah. as, you, as you say, I mean, you can the newspapers and everybody, they love a headline and, 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 you know, it's somewhat more exciting to say, you know, someone died doing this thing rather than to say, oh, yeah, there's been, you know, tens of thousands of years of people having great and amazing results, you know. So so it's very important, I think, to, um, yeah, to, to kind of have awareness about who you're going to go see and what their background is and what their experience is. And, exactly. Exactly. And really, really, really research who it is and, and find people who have gone and seen them and ask them about how it's been and, you know, and go through this whole, whole screening process. Don't, don't be tempted just to jump into the first person who says, yes, I'm a shaman. Because what does that really mean these days? We don't know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, um, so there are many plant medicines that uh, have different effects on the body. Before we get into that and some of the ones that you're more skilled with or more experienced with, we'll say, um, why do you think plant medicine is having such a big surge right now on the planet? You know, more and more people are seeking out people to do ayahuasca with and uh, just more and more people having the experiences, Cambo too. And Mm. we'll describe what some of them are in our next segment, but let's just talk about the why of it. I think in general, I think the truth of it is that traditionally humans have always had some sort of transpersonal 
psychedelic experience um, available to them as part of their kind of their normal life. Like if you had some trouble, you would go and see whoever it was in the village. If you were in Siberia, the, the shaman would have like mushrooms to on, on hand for the purposes of journeying into these other realms. Every culture has this concept that there's sort of like three realms of reality and the person who has the medicine and the person who's the healer or the doctor of the village would be always serving these or taking them himself and doing this sort of work. And I think it's only very recently in history, I mean, particularly, I guess, you know, the war on drugs and Nixon, you know, wanting to sort of, uh, I don't know all of the story, but from my mm. from my understanding, it was basically like, you know, the hippie movement was was kind of saying a lot about that, you know, they were protesting the war and Nixon really didn't like them protesting the war. So he kind of made it all about drugs suddenly and all about that people shouldn't be, you know. And, then, and so we had about a good 60, 70 years where 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 suddenly these things which had been legal for thousands and thousands of years were not legal. And then surprise, surprise, things like depression and suicide and 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 people weren't dealing with life very well. And suddenly we've got, you know, this big shift in society where, where they're just now starting to kind of undo some of those laws, particularly in the realm of ayahuasca. Magic mushrooms are being studied. I mean, marijuana is becoming more and more legal, um, both for medical and even just recreational use now because, you know, now that we're allowed to do the studies, they're finding out from a scientific point of view that, that they actually really help our bodies. And, yeah. and you know, you, you can do things like um, electrocardiogram on, the, on a person's brain who's got severe depression all of their life. They do not have the receptor sites for serotonin. And they've done things like two or three sessions of ayahuasca over four months and done another brain scan on them and seen receptor sites growing there. And the person doesn't need to continue taking ayahuasca the rest of their life. They don't need to be on antidepressants for the rest of their life. They actually get better, um, which is amazing because um, most of the drugs that we use to treat something like depression kind of just mask the symptoms and there's never really a plan to take, stop taking them. In, in the idea is you have to deal with the side effects of these medicines for the rest of your life. You know, whereas that, we've has got this, that has something to do with big pharma. Yeah. And I mean, and yeah, and of course there's that aspect that they want to make money off of it. So they're not really, you know, it doesn't pay to cure people, right? It pays, right, right. <laughs> it pays to keep treating them forever. Right. So um, <clears throat> the concept that you had something that you can do two or three times in your life and then suddenly your life is different and better is a bit scary to some of the people up higher up. But I mean, people are waking up to this and I think mm -hmm. my personal belief, there's no, there's no, um, scientific background to this belief but I really think it makes sense that we evolved in the forest amongst plants and that our bodies were made to make use of these things you know I think the best thing we can feed our bodies are things that grow on the planet <laughs> that right. grow in the environment where we grew right. up in you know and I think that um, intrinsically they're good for us and it makes sense that we should have them. I mean, the United Nations says 
that ayahuasca isn't actually illegal anymore, that it's an, it's a human right to mm. have the access to these medicines, which we've always had access to up until very recently. Yeah. So, so I'm very excited now about the fact that the scientific research is open so that people who that appeals to, you know, so people who need to be able to take a picture of your brain before and after can have that, can have that and say, okay, well, yes, okay, we can see that this is happening, you know, because um, shamanic medicines are very interesting in the fact that shamanic medicines have an effect both on the physical and on the spiritual, emotional, psychological bodies. So you're kind of working on both realms, and it's very exciting to me that technology is progressing to a point where we can measure these things now. Mm. Yeah, it's wonderful, really wonderful. So we're going to take a little break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about the different medicines and what you know what they affect or what the effects are. And uh, so people know, because I think that a lot of people are still in the dark about it. And um, there, there's a lot of interest. There's just a lot of interest. And I know that it can affect people, can take trauma away from them. If they're brave enough to do it, and that's what it requires, yeah, there's a possibility that they can eradicate trauma very easily in their life. And it, it's all of an investment of a few hundred dollars or a plane trip and taking something that's possibly comfortable or uncomfortable for a few hours. And that's really it. So we'll talk about that a little bit more when we come back from this break. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Sex and Happiness. I'm Laurie Handlers, and today I'm speaking to Kevin Leroy, who has really spent a long time uh, studying and expanding his life through communing with plants and with indigenous peoples around the globe. And so when we come back, we're going to talk about what some of those medicines are and, um, and what people take them for. So stay tuned. I think it's pretty interesting. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Did you ever stop to think that love is your birthright? That you don't need to earn it or prove it. You just need to live it. I'm personally inviting you to the path of true love, power, and freedom. If you're ready to enliven your soul through conscious sexuality and dive deeply into profound ritual that frees your heart, I'm inviting you to join us for the spiritual sexual shamanic experience. This is better known to most of you as the ISTA Level 1 training. I am regularly leading these courses along with a team of accomplished facilitators all around the world. As a matter of fact, these trainings have taken place in 34 countries. For information on when I'm leading, go to ButterflyWorkshops.com. Or for a full schedule, you can go to SchoolofTempleArts.org. Please consider this invitation seriously because love and freedom are your natural state of being. Are you wondering what book to read to jumpstart your life? Get the best from relationships? Attain the deepest feelings of intimacy? Do you want the best sex along with great happiness? Get your copy of Sex and Happiness, The Tantric Laws of Intimacy by Lori Handlers right now. You'll learn how to make love in the unknown, 
take the performance anxiety and reaching a goal out of sex. You'll learn subtle ways of communication and really important practices to empower you when dealing with an intimate partner. You'll let go of blame and struggle. Doesn't this sound great? Sex and happiness puts the innocence back into sex and gives Tantra the respect it deserves. Take charge of your life, physically, emotionally, and spiritually with Sex and Happiness by Lori Handler's only nineteen ninety nine paperback and fourteen ninety nine ebook. Order your copy today by going to butterflyworkshops.com. That's butterflyworkshops.com for your copy of Sex and Happiness. My question for people right now is if you're a woman who could use a little zest and zing in your arousal response, or maybe you know women or a woman who could use this, because many women say that their feelings of desire, arousal, and sexual satisfaction don't happen as naturally or as often as they'd like. So I want to tell you about Zestra, because Zestra was developed to meet this much-needed option for women. Uh, Zestra is safe and a patented blend of botanical oils and extracts, and it's created to help women have increased sexual sensations. Zestra comes in convenient single-dose personal packets. Each packet keeps the essential arousal oils and extracts free, fresh, and safe from light. And with application of Zestra, it starts to work within three to five minutes. And at about ten minutes, there's something called the Zestra Rush. And that can last up to about 45 minutes. The great news is that Zestra can be used as frequently as you like during each sexual experience. Now, I'm somebody who believes that all women deserve sexual satisfaction. That's why I do this show, in case you hadn't noticed. So I believe that men and women deserve sexual satisfaction. So if you're a woman who isn't getting that kind of arousal response that you want, please call 877-426-8047. That's 877-426-8047. And please remember to say you heard about Zestra from Laurie Handlers on the Sex and Happiness Show. We're back with Sex and Happiness. And again, I'm Laurie Handlers. I'm interviewing Kevin Leroy today. And um, we're talking about plant medicines and what they are and how to, how to know whether you, should, you might be someone who wants to take it. So, Kevin, what, just give me a list of things you've had experience with and we'll talk about each one. Okay, well, I mean, in terms of plant medicine, I think I kind of dedicated my life to exploring almost everything. <laughs> okay. So, so the list could be quite long. I think um, what's useful is to kind of maybe go over some of the things that are more common sure. and, and why people might decide to do one or the other. Um, I always... If somebody were to come to me and say, hey, look, I'm really interested in plant medicine, but I have no idea what is yeah. out there, what yeah. is going on, what's going on, I have them do a little thing called inner inquiry and outer inquiry, um, which is a little bit of a process where the inner inquiry uh, is going gonna, is gonna to be kind of a questionnaire, and it kind of just asks you kind of, um, to go through and figure out what it is that you, what is the end result that you're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then the outer inquiry we touched on a little bit before is about um, finding out what kind of circles are out there, who are the practitioners um, that offer this particular modality and kind of doing research around around who they are and and what they offer and talking to people. But in terms of the inner inquiry part, right? So let's just say somebody wanted to work on depression, for example, right? So we might say to them that ayahuasca might be a really good choice um, because that's been very well researched that, that, that ayahuasca is good for depression. Um, so that could be an option there. If somebody came to me and said they've been struggling with addiction, um, then I might point them in the direction of Iboga, which is a little root from from Africa, which has been amazing, particularly with heroin addiction. I mean, if they were saying they felt a little bit lost in life and they didn't quite know where to go, um, you know, I might point them in the direction of Kembo. Um, it really, so it really is important um, to kind of define your intentions before you even decide on which plant medicine you might want to go to. Um, things like ayahuasca are very broad, broad scope. So you can, so you can go to ayahuasca for many different reasons. And you, I mean, all of the plant medicines are going to be able to touch on just about every issue that you might have. But I think I think the first the first and most important thing is really to define what it is that you might want to get out of the experience, right? Right. Yeah, I think that's really important. I never heard of that. That iboga. Yeah, iboga. I never heard of that before. So iboga is um, it's a little root that grows in Africa, and. Um, I'm really lucky to live in the country of New Zealand because New Zealand, my friend Tanea Peterson, she did a five-year-long study with this root, and she took people who had been addicted to heroin um, over they, the requirement for her study was that they needed to be in an active addiction for more than five years. And what she did is she gave them a single flush dose of iboga over two days. So it's a 48-hour experience. And she put them into a room and they were monitored on heart monitors and checked in on every couple hours. And then um, out of the five, out of the 40, wait, sorry, she did it at 150 people. Mm -hmm. and, and out of that 150 people, 10 of them um, ever went back to heroin and she followed up every year for five years with all of those people and 10 of them ever reused. Um, so on the basis of that study and a couple other pieces of work, this Iboga was uh, legalized in New Zealand for treatment of, of heroin addiction, which was amazing. Because before that, um, all we could do for people was give them medicines which replicate heroin, but were legal, you know, so you could go to the pharmacy every day and, and have your dose of this other medicine, which, um, which was cool, which kept them off of the illegal drugs, but it really didn't solve the problem. Yeah. Uh, and, and it also introduced health risk of its own, whereas now we have this option in New Zealand where you can go and 
go for two or three days and you're very unlikely to reuse again because from a physiological point of view, Iboga actually goes in and blocks. It's exactly the same shape as as an opiate molecule, so it sits in the same receptor site in the brain and actually clears out the addiction instantly. Now, whether well, or not it amazing. Yeah, and it's amazing because this thing this thing works and they know it works and it and it works very, very well and it's very, very repeatable and provable and it's available for people who need it. I mean in other countries you have to kind of go you have to know somebody or you have to kind of go dark web and you don't really know what you're getting or what's going on. But it's just great that you can go to your doctor here in New Zealand and say, hey, I, I'm, a, I'm addicted to heroin and I don't want to be taking this other stuff for the rest of my life. So I would like to try this. And a lot of the GPs will say, yes, at the moment, it's still a little bit scary for them. Now, unfortunately, in regards to the screening and the, in the process is that it was considered because it was a route to be a natural medicine. Therefore, um, you had lots of traditional people um, having access to this medicine. So um, they had a little clinic up north and they didn't really, again, this was a case where they really didn't do the screening and the lady had a pre-existing heart condition and they weren't checking up on her every hour and they didn't have her on heart monitor and she ended up dying. We had one death. And I think they said there had been about, at that stage, there had been about 300 people through the treatment program. So we had a death. And now it's a situation where the, you go to your local doctor and they say, well, we've had this other treatment for years and years and years. And yes, we know there are big side effects and there's a risk of death. But if someone dies using a very well-known treatment, then that's just considered part of the numbers. And that just happens. But if somebody dies on the on a newer treatment and an experimental thing, then, then, then it can be seen that the doctors made a bad decision and shouldn't have been trying these things out. So, so it's getting more difficult to get people to be open to these things. But yeah, but, you know, we are making progress. That's good. And and things and things are just slowly opening. But it's just about there's a great duty of care, you know, with the of practitioner. Course. And and I really am excited because as things become it's it's almost like a paradox, but as things become more legal, then you know there there can be more checks on it, and there can be you know a qualification required before you you serve these things, and that could be very interesting territory for the future, uh, and kind of well, avoid these. Yeah. Well, then there's people who who teach and who who have studied. I mean, I know lots of people who not lots, but I know a few people who have gone to Ecuador, and a few people who have gone to Peru and found people in the jungle who. Um, were the village shamans and they studied for a long time with these people so uh yeah so i know there's there are qualifications and i know they may not be part of the a systematized system as yet but it's coming let's talk about cambo because there's a new there's a new flurry of people uh wanting to take cambo which is uh, something it's something that comes from a frog. It's like poison that comes from a certain frog's back. Yeah? Yeah, so there's there's a frog in, um, it lives in Brazil mostly, and sometimes in the top part of Peru where Brazil and Peru meet in the jungle, it's uh, the um, the frog's name is um, Medusa ficolor. It, it means the great uh, monkey frog. It's a big monkey frog in um, so 
this frog has um yeah essentially a slimy poison all over its body and any animal that tries to eat this frog would immediately have the experience of this poison in their body and start vomiting and so everybody really leaves this frog alone right so he doesn't get touched so he doesn't actually um they've sort of like over time just completely um eliminated fear from this from this animal and so you so what happens is that the tribe tribes people will just call to this frog and he just comes so they just make the sound you know they'll be out and i've gone on expedition with the matis people and they just literally go on the boat and they go rah, 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 and then the frog just crawls out of the jungle and comes to them. <laughs> like, come here little froggy, come here little froggy. <laughs> yeah and the froggy's like well you know nobody messes with me I don't even know what fear is and and so so yeah so they get the they they do just rub the frog's back and you get a little bit of this this um snotty substance out and it gets dried onto a stick and then you have a little ceremony about about using this medicine. Now, Kembo is again one of these um, one of these shamanic medicines. Um, but the cool thing about Kembo is it's actually been studied since about the 1920s. Like scientifically, it has many many peptides in it, which have been shown to to have a wide range of effects on the body. They 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 do um show that it reduces inflammation so you have people with arthritis and that sort of thing getting getting good results they have shown that it really affects the um lymphatic system which is kind of like the body's sewage system to get rid of stuff um and the interesting thing is that that like our circulatory system has the pump which is the heart and our respiratory system has a pump which is the lungs but the lymphatic system doesn't have a pump so gets moved around by body motion mostly but when people apply Kembo um, it's been shown that the lymphatic system like really gets activated and all the little nodes around the body start pumping so any toxins that are in there tend to be released quite quickly um, it also has an effect of adding more oxygen to the blood so I mean they traditionally use it as hunting magic right so they would they would all get together before they go hunting, have a Cambo session, and then they just go running in the forest and they don't really run out of breath and they can go running for much further distances and they don't get tired and they don't really need to eat as much. And also it has a really cool effect, which is that your eyes can um, see better. You get like, it's almost the effect that I could say is it's almost like you're 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 looking through a high definition monitor or something because you get more contrast. So the animals that are camouflaged in the jungle stand out against the trees better. And the Indians and the Indians say that if you do Kembo a lot, that it cleans out your body to a point where you even lose your human scent. <laughs> so the other animals don't even smell you coming, which is which is kind of a interesting thing. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, I know a lot of people have done it. I guess that's my next thing um, yeah. to try. Um, I know it, at first it has some, you know, you feel feverish and sick and whatever, but um, I, it feels like it's worth doing. I'm probably going to do it. Um, yeah. So I'm interested okay. in that. And then um, tell 
a little bit, uh, you know, because this is sex and happiness. So all the things you're talking about, like whether it's to um, break through fear and transform something with ayahuasca, or whether it's to get healthier by taking cambo, or whether it's to break addictions with that other route that you talked about. Um, mm. Everything will add to people's sex and happiness if they get healthier. There's no question about it. Um, as far as I'm concerned, marijuana is the sexiest medicine of all. <laughs> but, oh, definitely. I mean, as a plant spirit, she is. She comes to me as this, like you know, this very beautiful Latina woman, and she's just like all about the sensuality and the creativity. Yeah, exactly. Very sexy plant, yes. So I think that about that. But what's um, what's uh, tell a little bit about San Pedro? Do you know anything about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so I mean, just in the broad term of you know sex and happiness. I mean, anything which kind of peels away these layers of story about that we're not sexy and we're not happy. That's that's going to help in terms of feeling more sexy and more happy because I truly believe that our natural state is love right I really right. do believe that and I think that if you really get down to the core of it you're either feeling love or you're kind of like in fear that there's some lack of love you know at the very very core I mean we put lots of different labels on top of it so if you're cleaning the body out I think that you know as we you know this is going to be a little bit of what you might call woo but i do think we are spiritual beings and, and that our and our bodies are just we experience our bodies just as a more dense version of of our energetic body right, um, right. so i think anytime you're doing work on the physical body in terms of cleaning you're also opening up channels for emotional happiness too and so um, yes, there's that element of uncomfortableness. And I mean, you know, if you look at Cambo, for example, it's very, very uncomfortable for about half an hour. But then you get sort of like six months, or six to four months of like of feeling really good. So it's a bit, it's a, for me, it's been a big teacher in that way that um, if you're not willing to be uncomfortable for a short period of time, then how do you expect to have long-term rewards? So if you can't be uncomfortable and go for that job interview that's like twice your pay raise that you're getting right now, but, you know, there's an opportunity there, then, you know, it could be quite uncomfortable to push yourself, but, you know, there's that chance you might get it. Same thing asking out a girl who you really like. Um, you know, if you, it's going to be uncomfortable when you have this conversation and go, hey, you know, I really think you're the most beautiful person on the earth and you feel quite vulnerable asking. But if you're not willing to go through with that, there's going to be no chance that things are going to happen, right? Exactly. <laughs> so so a lot of the teaching around particularly, so the Metis people have this concept they call panema, which is said to be a gray cloud in your aura or you know we might describe it as depression or feeling down or feeling that you don't know what your path is in life and those kinds of medicines are really good at removing that and mm -hmm. so you, you suddenly get a lot more clear about who you are and what you really want and then the fact that you've can go through these experiences and literally jump off a cliff into the unknown 
is a really brave thing. And then you get real brave about doing stuff like asking for a raise at work or applying for a totally new job or just moving city to somewhere else, you know, or just becoming a traveling nomad kind of like me that just, you know, decides that, you know, I don't need to buy into the fear that we have to be doing the nine to five thing and I can still go off all over the place and do amazing things, but it's only through kind of that. It's a combination of, of insanity <laughs> and trust where you just go, okay, you know, like this is possible. Um, now getting back to San Pedro, which you asked about. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely, they call it, they call peyote in, in the Lakota people, which I grew up with, peyote and San Pedro are kind of like friends to each other because they're both mm -hmm. cactuses. So if right. you look at it from a physical point of view, they both contain very similar um, substances in terms of what it does to your body, but they call it the shimmering heart. And it's said to reveal, um, and it's absolutely heart medicine, it's supposed to reveal your true uh, emotional self to yourself. So it's supposed to really clear up all of these, these um, confusions about what it is to connect to yourself first. And the belief system is that, you know, if you want to attract a very hot and sexy sexual partner to yourself, that the first thing you really need to do is be in complete and total love with yourself. You know, some of the stuff that we worked on, you and me, you know, um, after the Tantra Festival was all about that concept of becoming a sovereign person. Sovereign, self-love. Yeah. Self-directed. Yeah, everything. Self-activated. Yeah. yeah. And so a lot of that, a lot of the medicine work is about, is like, you know, involves taking something, sitting in the dark for several hours with nobody else there except for you and this experience of what's going on for you inside yourself and getting really, really clear about about what the inner landscape is and who you are and what your desires are and what you truly want to manifest on this planet and then bringing that back out and doing it. So, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of like specialty. That's kind of like the bigger picture is, you know, you want sex and happiness. You've got to like be completely happy with yourself before you can ever have anything really valuable to share to other people. Right. Exactly. Otherwise, Otherwise, you're kind of seeking that completion. You're seeking that that feeling of being sovereign and complete, but you're seeking that from another person. So you're not really giving them love. You're actually taking. You're taking. Energy. Yeah. And when you move into that, it's never going to really be sustainable because eventually people are going to get tired when it's when it's all about. You know, That's so good. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. I'm glad you took that away. And probably you knew that anyway beforehand, but you know it even more now. And it's yeah. because you, you experienced a lot of other people like waking up to that, that there is nothing outside. Everything is inside. There's so much self-love. And then when you get loved from somebody on the outside, it becomes dessert instead of the meal yeah. that's supposed to sustain you. Exactly. And it's like a, it's like a gift that you can enjoy rather than this thing that you have to make be desperate to get. And like, you know, people will, completely ignore all a lot of their boundaries because of the sense of desperation and they sit yeah. in really toxic relationships for a really long time because they think that if they put up with it long enough eventually it might get better or or that you know they really don't have any choice because this is a need that they have to be in this thing you know yeah. in order to feel 
safe, really. Well but, said. Yeah. So well said, Kevin. Crazy how dangerous what kind of dangerous situations people keep themselves in with the psychological need to feel safe. <laughs> yeah, so good. Well, we're going to take a break here. That's a really good place to stop for a second mm. and let mm. people digest that. Mm. Uh, so when we come back, we'll be finding out how to get in touch with Kevin and what he might be able to advise you in your area. So just stay tuned. We're coming right back. This is really an eye-opening show this has a lot of real nuggets about uh, what people could experiment with and what, you know, what and how to go about it. So stay tuned. We're coming right back. So many times you've heard Lori talk about emotional release on this show. She says over and over again how important it is for you and your loved ones. Now you can do emotional release in the privacy of your own home. And you can practice Lottie Han too, meditation that prepares you for making love in the unknown. In her CD, Shamanic Release and Lottie Han, she creates a safe and sacred space in which you can do the powerful work Lori is known for in her Butterfly Workshops courses. Lori sets you up with the proper positioning and breathing. Then she guides you through each emotional state to the beat of tribal African rhythms. This CD actually provides an easy way to do emotional clearing work on a regular basis. Order your copy of Shamanic Release and Lottie Han today and watch your relationships walk free of emotional baggage. To order your copy, go to ButterflyWorkshops.com right now. As a sex and happiness coach... I understand that increased sexual participation intensifies sexual responsiveness and desire, as well as overall health and well-being. My experience with the Sibian has personally increased my sexual response, and I can now train women to use this machine to have peak orgasms as often as possible. I strongly believe this will add to their health and well-being whether they have a partner or not. The beauty and the miracle of the human body is that it adapts and changes much more rapidly than people change their beliefs or their opinions. The Sibian can make any woman's body more resilient with each peak orgasm. Sibian is an amazing experience often described as the Lamborghini of sex toys. If you're a woman and you can get yourself to look at Sibian, you should do so. It won't take away from your partner. It will only add. Trust me on this. I love my Sibian. Go to Sibian.com. That's S-Y-B-I-A-N.com. Or call 1-800-253-6135. That's 800-253-6135. 6135 and say Lori Handler's told you about Sibian. And by the way, if you do have a partner, ask about Venus for men. That's Venus, V E N U S, for men. This is Sex and Happiness. I'm Laurie Handler's. I'm interviewing Kevin Leroy. And Kevin is really a. Uh, you, he's an expert. He doesn't call himself a shaman, but he calls himself, but I don't even know if he calls himself an expert, but I am. So <laughs> he's an expert in uh, indigenous 
people experience, you know, experience and plant medicines. He's done everything he could possibly find. He's not closed to anything. I think I was with him when he probably did his first kava when we, when we talked about you saying a tsunami. I don't know if you had done kava before. I certainly hadn't. And all I felt about it was I got a little numb in my tongue and a little numb on my lips. I don't know what you felt. Yeah, well, I was just really keen because that was my first time to have kava and was really wanting to connect to the, the plant. Oh, and, and the land and the land and the spirit of the land and through the medicine. Usually that's the way you do it. And, and um, I'm really good at navigating those kind of spaces. And I, I've done, I understand kava as a muscle relaxant and, a, and, a, and, um, and as kind of a, a more of a social um, bonding experience. So I, yeah. you know, for, for me, it's worth going, you know, cause I know that they kind of like, they don't want to have all the tourists running around with wobbly legs so they kind of like you know introduce it gently but you know i, I just reckon if i'm gonna gonna have my one and only chance i might as well go full force you know <laughs> yeah, good for you yeah so so we let's see so based on uh what i said in the earlier segment uh you know we you might advise people you you seem to feel that you know people pretty much all over the planet that uh, could help people interested in this in introducing them to plant medicines. So I'm going to suggest that maybe you would set yourself up as somebody who people could contact if they want to, to find somebody in their area. Is that is that what we could agree to? Yeah, absolutely. Because part of that process that I, I kind of touched on that, on that outer inquiry part of my process. So if somebody ever came to me and said they're interested in plant medicine, I would take them through that process of defining what their needs were first. But then I'd kind of talk to them and say, okay, well, you know, there, there are several different ways you can do ceremony. You can spend thousands of dollars on an airplane ticket, go deep into the jungle, go and said with somebody who's very, very traditional, but some people might feel really uncomfortable that they're far out in the jungle and they and there's not the same language being spoken and they don't understand the words that are in the songs. So, I mean, there's also options, you know, there's people just about everywhere. The, the really cool thing about these times is that this is waking up and there's people, you know, almost every major city that I can think of that are holding circles in the local language mm -hmm. who, um, or using the same concepts, but just relating in a, in a more modern context. So you may want to find one of those. You may want to go to a retreat where you're fed delicious food and, and you have your ceremonies and you've got somebody there really dedicated to the integration process. Afterwards, you may need to spend a, a day or two speaking to someone who's got those kind of skills. And so, um, it's really good to understand that you've got different options and different things will appeal to different people. You know, you may, you may kind of want a more folksy kind of, you know, six person circle where you, where you sing lots of really heart songs or you may just want to sit in complete darkness. And so, you know, there's, so with my experience, I can kind of advise you of what I know of and who I know of and, and what you're and what kind of and take you through a process where you can kind of decide 
for yourself what really appeals and what is going to work in terms of your comfort levels and 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 yeah so that's kind of what i do anyway okay um so that's a good it's a good thing it's a good conversation to have yeah i don't personally ever go to anybody and say hey you need to be doing plant medicine um but if anybody's feeling that that it's something that they're interested in or they might want to explore i am really happy to share all of my experience and all of my knowledge with anybody who asks that's Mm. great that's perfect that's a perfect setup so how is the best way for people to get in touch with you uh is it email yeah at this point email because i haven't really you know like i don't really have like quote unquote a business or a consultancy business or anything of that nature so if they just want to contact me it's kevin dot leroy so it's k-e-v-i-n dot l-e-r-o-y at gmail.com i will be more than happy yeah. yeah, and if you and if you just want to like make it stand out, you can just say that you've got a plant medicine inquiry, and then I'll go from there. And um, yeah, and then just let me know where you are, what you're thinking, what your experiences in the past have been with medicines, and what you're kind of what kind of outcome you're desiring, and then we can go from there. Because I mean, yeah, I've got I've got my entire life behind me, and I've been doing not much anything else other than just traveling this world and finding out what it is that happy sexy people do (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome that's so awesome well i'm so glad that our paths crossed and Um, yeah and i'm so glad we sat together at the kava ceremony Mm. and we sat together many more times over the next week at ista which was wonderful and amazing amazing yeah, so thank you, Kevin. Oh, and I just want to say, I might as well say, I am I have a shaman, an, an Ecuadorian shaman coming to uh, Arizona in February. And we it, it might be that we take people to Ecuador then. I'm not sure, but we're planning a three-part medicine trip, like a tour of three different parts of Ecuador, beach, jungle, and mountains. Wow. We're going to do three different medicines, you know, one at each. And she's, um, she's definitely, uh, I did some other waska with her. I didn't do ayahuasca with her. I did a tea ceremony that lasted only a couple hours, but it was wonderful. I had a very, very powerful dream, uh, a dream sequence when I did this with her. And so she's coming in February, and I'm not sure whether we're planning the trip in February or whether she's coming to Phoenix, but everyone should stay tuned with me because I I am in communication with someone that has been trained by her traditional ancestors. So, yeah, so I'm excited about that too. And I wasn't going to say that, and then I said, no, I better say that. I'm going to be working with Jocelyn, so... Thank you so much today for being my guest. It is such a pleasure to speak with you, Kevin. And you're an expert in many other things too. You're like you said. You told me you were a sponge to soak up knowledge. Yes. Well, the thing is, I don't know. I just have like I don't know. I'll just sit there and I don't know. There's some part of my brain that's hardwired just to absorb it and and relate information and kind of mix it all up and change it into something that's really accessible to people 
So yeah. So that's just my passion. <laughs> yeah, thank you for doing that. That's your su- that's one of your superpowers. So thank you. Mm. And everybody stay tuned. I will have another amazing guest the next time. I actually have a guest coming on the show who is a man who has been experimenting with polyamory for over 40 years, I think, something like that, which it hasn't really been fashionable until maybe the past 10 years. But this man was a forefront runner in the idea that maybe – he couldn't only be with one person. And so he is coming on the show next time to share with us some wealth and some nuggets that he's learned over the years of being new and different and a forerunner in a, in a movement that's only more taken hold lately. So he should be really interesting. I don't know him, but uh, he was highly recommended to me. So, Please tune in to Sex and Happiness then when I will have that guest. And thank you all for listening today. It has it makes my day to do this show. It makes me more alive to share with you those that I meet and their gifts. So, Kevin, thank you. And everybody else, thank you so much. This is Laurie Handler signing off for Sex and Happiness. Thank you for joining us today for Sex and Happiness. To learn more about Laurie and her work, please go to ButterflyWorkshops.com or follow her on Twitter or Facebook. You can send her an email at sexandhappiness at gmail.com. We'll see you again right here next week for another edition of Sex and Happiness. Oh.